0: Stories from the Honky Moon Café Written and read by Barclay Johnson COMMON LAND Our small village numbers four or five keen walkers, and their emphasis is walking. They are members of various walking organisations and take walking very seriously. There are others like myself that do not take walking seriously, instead we take looking and listening much more seriously and use walking merely to get us to places where we can look and listen. If I was walking with serious walkers, I would be left behind staring at a view, trying to identify a flower or what bird it is I can't see whilst they have disappeared into the distance. I would catch up just in time to see them packing away their energy drinks and muesli snacks and about to move on. I am a proud ambler. I amble along to see what the country can reveal of itself. I may spend as much time stationary, or at least moving slowly as I do walking briskly. Having been born with an insatiable curiosity, I can't pass something unusual without wondering what it is, why I haven't seen it before, what it does, and why it even exists. In my group of amblers I am average. On an amble I could be in company, ahead there might be one or two, and behind us others, though unseen beyond the bend. I can imagine my parents constantly requesting I catch up only for me to torment them with persistent what is this or why is that? I have discovered what they didn't. The answer to a child's perpetual why is to tell them and to give them as full an answer as is possible and as you would a fellow adult. Mostly what children want is attention and when the answer is very long and detailed They not only learn something, they daren't ask another question. Besides flora and fauna, my fellow amblers have a fascination for the remnants of our industrial past. Industrial archaeology is what an antiques dealer friend would call it, but his interest is in mills, old brick kilns, ironworks, canals and such. Our interest, due to our locality, is usually confined to a smaller scale but ancient evidence of human activity is beguiling in whatever form. Our curiosity can be sparked with quite insignificant remains, a gatepost, sans gate, in the middle of nowhere, a wall well made, more than is required to just keep stock from wandering. With their purposes hidden in time, it's enough to make us wonder, wonder when this place, which is now nowhere, used to be something and somewhere. It is a clue of some past activity important enough to need something, and one that required it should be well made. Whether it's industrial or agricultural archaeology, walls feature prominently, which is rather stating the obvious. Canals and rivers in the past, the thoroughfare for any bulk cargo, had finely engineered stone jetties and loading wharfs in abundance. Now they are sometimes hardly visible between branches and brambles. Our walls have had many uses, but it's mostly guesswork that we country amblers have to go on to know what remains as a witness to a past activity. A wall is one thing, but four walls are another. Starting at the old and Monkey, walk to the west, past the car park on your right, and then the village hall on your left. The lane soon turns northwards, and on the left-hand side, amongst some beech trees, there's a well-used kissing gate through which the path leads up across the common. After a couple of hundred yards, there is a commemorative bench from which the village lying below is not so far removed that it ceases to be real. The path continues its gentle climb until much of the surrounding landscape is visible. Kilnbury, the Iron Age fort, is higher to the east of the village, and that conceals the view towards Shipston and beyond that, Shaftesbury. Looking back from the brow of the common, to the left is Croft Hill, on the slope of which is Davinia's Triple S.I. And not so far away, the gothic clock-tower of Brimston, the Dawson residence, peeps above a cluster of trees on the Shipston Road. Turning away and beyond the brow, trees build up on either side of the path, until well into the wood there is where footpaths cross, and where Lola, Paul's dog, would stare at what I couldn't see. Down that right-hand path, more used than it was, it now leads to whistling jacks, and a bench where families regularly picnic. Continue a few hundred yards more, and the footpath drops down onto a broad thoroughfare that is as straight as a die, and probably Roman. It's a surprise to find, in comparison to our meandering footpath, something so intentional. Vegetation is encroached from both sides, but the firm surface is still three or four metres wide. It extends in both directions, as far as the eye can see. Tall beaches meet overhead and make a vaulted ceiling that has the feeling of a cathedral and provokes that same sense of wonder and respect. By the bank to the right of our path is what appears to be half-hidden mounds of fly-tipped rubble. A closer examination reveals a more organised structure, typical of one wall wall being just a curiosity, and more being a fascination. The remains are of a single room, a worker's shelter, or a tally gate. A gap in the wall and a stone threshold facing the track indicates a doorway. Not enough of the walls remain to know if there are any windows. There's more rubble remaining on the northern side, which could have been a stack. Even if a dwelling, something of this age and of this type, it would be unusual for it to have any substantial floor. so what has grown within the walls was predictable. Nature reclaims everything eventually. Back home it was no surprise that the remains didn't feature on my OS map. Neither was I surprised of what else I was reminded. It is more likely that you have driven along a straight road for some distance, rather than a country path to then find it suddenly takes a sharp turn and meanders aimlessly as if it's lost its concentration before finding its way back and continuing in its intended direction. It's not unusual for the detour to have on one side a wall, sometimes a very long one. We can dismiss it as an irrelevant relic, even the magnificent stone gateway that, like the one at Delamere, leads to nowhere. The drive has gone. The parkland is no longer strewn with deer or overseen by a substantial Rococo residence. The estate has ceased to be and the land has been divided up and sold off. Evidence of the Enclosures Act is everywhere. Land that for centuries had been common land and used by ordinary people. By edict of Parliament, a landowner could claim it as their own, fence it, wall it, and prevent anyone else's use of it. Roads were diverted and footpaths prohibited, so as no common person could trespass on land that for centuries had been free to use, to earn a living from, and to enjoy. Talking to Milton Peacock, a retired solicitor in the Drum one evening, it came as a surprise that Enclosures Act only ceased in 1914 having presumed that such legislative theft by the gentry was confined to the Middle Ages. He told me that a fifth of the total area of England was stolen, and pointed out that Blythe Hall was among thousands of estates that claimed common land and then built walls round it. That pile of rubble was once the home of a character called Martha, living by the then Shipston Road an Old Roman Road. Overnight it became the property of the Delamere estate, as did several hundred acres of adjoining common land and other properties. Travellers were Martha's source of income, but when they diverted the road she lost her passing trade. The refreshments she made, the herbal medicines and potions, Vegetable dyes and beer that her mother had made before her were treated with suspicion. When she cured a young girl of a rash, they accused her of witchcraft. When she wouldn't leave of her own accord, her hovel was burnt down. I have mentioned Delamere Park and its mismanagement before, but when itself suffered several fires, it led to the bankruptcy of the estate. Perhaps she was a witch after all. Not far from Shipston, Delamere, set back off the Shaftesbury Road, a cottage once rejoiced in the name of Martha's Cottage. It was from where she took up her trade again, after the village built it for her, ironically from the materials salvaged from the ruins of Delamere Park. The common land was never returned. But at least we're permitted to walk on some of it.